Democrats continue to wisely oppose the building of a border wall using reason and logic to counter the wild ranting of an out-of-control President Trump. Senate Minority Leader Chuck Schumer, for example, burst into tears as he patiently explained, quote, a wall is just not who we are as Americans. Who we are as Americans is people who don't have walls. Our homes are just roofs floating in midair, and anyone who wants to walk in can do so, and we will give them everything we have because we can't defend ourselves because we have no guns, because guns are not who we are as Americans. Let's face it, as Americans, we are pretty much screwed, unquote. Speaker of the House Nancy Pelosi also used logic against Trump's insane raving, saying, quote, if you think Trump is going to get a wall, let me remind you that my own daughter said I was someone who would cut your head off and you'd never know you were bleeding. And she should know because I did that to her father and then laughed as he collapsed headless on the floor in a pool of blood he didn't even know was there. So we are going to have compassion for illegal immigrants or I will slaughter every American in sight, unquote. Freshman Democratic Congresswoman Alexandria Occasional Cortex also raised the IQ level of the discussion, saying, quote, walls just don't work. If walls worked, they would put them around prisons to keep the criminals from escaping, and no one does that, unquote. When informed that prisons do indeed have walls around them, Ms. Cortex said, quote, you know, so many people get hung up on whether the words coming out of my mouth are true or not, but that's missing the whole point of my adorable little smile and how I can dance around while I destroy the country, unquote. Meanwhile, that nonsensical idiot Trump keeps blathering on about how America ought to control its own borders and keep out criminals and terrorists. What a clown. Trigger warning. I'm Andrew Clavin. This is The Andrew Clavin Show. I feel hunky-dunky. Life is tickety-boo. Birds are winging, also singing. Hunky-dunky-dee-doo. Ship-shaped, ipsy-topsy. The world is a bitty zing. It's a wonderful day. Hurrah, hooray. It makes me want to sing. Oh, hurrah, hooray. Oh, hooray, hurrah. So, I have a confession to make. Ever since the midterms back in November, I have been in a crappy mood about politics. And since I'm almost never in a bad mood, I've been asking myself why. What was it about the midterms that bothered me? I, I knew it was coming. I remember saying during one of the backstage shows, I remember saying, I'm really going to enjoy this Kavanaugh confirmation because I know the midterm's coming and we're going to lose seats in the House and it's not going to be nice and then I'll be depressed. So I'm going to enjoy it while it's there. But when it came, I thought, what, what is going on? Why am I so grumpy about politics? I've I've thought about it, and it's not the left that's bothering me, because the left has basically left the American building. The left thinks if you go out and work hard to make money to better your life, they should decide how to spend that money because they're just that much better than you are. So to hell with them. It's the right that annoys me. It's our guys, the conservatives. It's the rich suburban Republicans who didn't show up for Trump, and they gave power to socialists by voting for these make-believe moderate Democrats because they thought Trump was such a blustering bore. And it's the women who ignored the fact that their families are safer and more pro prosperous under Trump. And they voted for radicals because Trump is naughty and he's mean and he says nasty things. And then there are the theorists and commentators, and I know that each man has, and woman has to follow his or her conscience, but I just feel at this point, when they start to talk and talk and talk about Trump's character, they are wallowing in self-protective sanctimony. They don't want to get Trump stains on their philosophical purity. 
This amounts to Seinfeld conservatism, a movement that is now about nothing, a movement that seeks to accomplish nothing because it's too busy lamenting the fact that Trump won and he's not the guy they wanted. Listen, Donald Trump, I've said it a million times, he's a great big character with great big flaws. So what? He's doing a terrific job. He's doing things conservatives have been trying to do for decades without succeeding. And he knocked over the other Republican candidates like they were nine pins, which tells me that the other Republicans weren't reaching the voters. Now, you may remember the voters. They're the people you have to convince in order to have an effect on the politics of America. It is great to sit in your office or behind your microphone and pontificate on what the world should be and how super great the old days were. But again, so what? This is politics. It's dirty. It's tough. You don't have to like Trump. I don't always like Trump and you don't have to approve of him. But if you don't fight the fight you're giving, you're you're given, you're actually not fighting at all. And more importantly, you are making me cranky. So knock it off. We're going to look at the fight we're in right now. But first, let us talk about Robin Hood. I love this. You know, we gave the, I gave this to the Katie's. The Katie's are the two ladies who actually run the Daily Wire. I know we talk about the God King and all that, but really it's the Katie's. It's Caitlin and Katie who do, you know, just make everything happen. And so I gave them the Robin Hood app and told them to work it. And they were loving it so much and talking about how easy it was to use, how it taught you how how to invest. It taught you how, how uh, what kind of stocks you wanted. It examined what kind of uh, finances you had and what kind of risks you wanted to take. And it taught you how to be in the stock market. And that is something I really want to know. So now I've asked them to set up one for me. And I'm really looking forward because you can other brokerages uh, charge up to 10 bucks for every trade. Robinhood doesn't charge commission fees. You can trade stocks and keep all of your profits. It's got easy to understand charts, market data. You can place a trade in just four taps on your smartphone and learn how to invest as you build your portfolio. That's what I'm looking for. Robinhood is giving listeners a free stock like Apple, Ford, or, or Sprint to help build your portfolio. Sign up at claven.robinhood.com. That's claven.robinhood.com. And you can find out so many things like how you spell Claven. It's K-L-A-V-A-N. Uh, oh, I want to remind you, tomorrow is the mailbag. So get your questions in now if you want all your problems solved. And let's face it, who doesn't want all their problems solved? you got to be a subscriber. Go to dailywire.com and subscribe. It's just a lousy 10 bucks a month for 100 bucks. You get the full year plus leftist tears tumbler. But most importantly, you get to ask questions. How you do it is up at the top of the page. It says podcast. You press that. You go to Andrew Claven podcast. Then there's a little picture of a mailbag and you press that and you can send your questions right to me. All my answers are guaranteed 100% correct and will change your life. Will they? Ch will I change the, your life for the better? <laughs> I don't know. Uh, but you want to be there. So that's tomorrow. So Donald Trump tonight is going to make a speech from the Oval Office on border security. And I want to examine this because I want to talk about the f how, what politics is really like. What politics is really like, not what it's supposed to be like, not what we wish it was like, but what it is really like. We don't know what he's going to say. We, he hasn't decided yet whether he's going to declare a state of emergency, which would be probably illegal. He probably wouldn't get away with it, but it might convince his base that he's doing what he what they want him to do. It shows that he's fighting out, uh, fighting the, the good fight to get his wall. Let's look first at, at the reality, what's happening at the border. Illegal immigration has been falling at the border since about 2000. It peaked around 2000 with about one and a half million illegals came in. Last year, it's been about half million. But the change has been, the reason it is now a crisis, 
is because as the countries in Central America are falling apart, as their governments are collapsing, because people like Alexandria Occasional Cortex are running them, because they're collapsing, people are desperate to get out. And so families are coming over. So it's usually been like uh, men who come across the border and they do work or they're criminals or they're gangsters or whatever they are. But now there are these families. We haven't got the capacity to deal with them. It's not Trump's fault. Trump didn't make these countries collapse and he didn't set up the, the rules as they are. And he is only using the tools he's got to deal with this massive influx. And that's why you're getting the pictures of the sad children being separated from their parents, because the law says you've got to hold people who ask for asylum. You've got to hold them for a hearing, but you can only keep the kids in the holding cells a certain amount of time. Then you have to release them. And that's how the separation happened. Not Trump's fault. He's doing what he can to deal with it. But but in order to solve this problem and the problem that has been going on for decades at the border, Trump promised a wall. So he needs a wall. The Democrats who are talking absolute garbage about abolishing ICE, about establishing sanctuary cities where people can uh, hide out if they've broken the law. This is how people are getting killed because in California they couldn't report an illegal gangster and then he shot a cop. Uh, you know, this is this is what the left is talking about. But they're, in real life, in real life, if these people are adults and responsible, there's a deal to be made. They can get amnesty for the dreamers, the people who came in here before they were old enough to make a decision. They were brought in by their parents and give Trump a wall, give Trump a wall. And then in between those two things, which are kind of minor points, I know they, those are the emotional high points, but they're minor points. In between those things, you rejigger the system. You make it so you cannot just come in and declare asylum and get a hearing. That's ridiculous. You make it you have to come into certain points. You, you, you uh, have E-Verify. You make it harder for people to get uh, illegals to get jobs. You basically tighten the security and make the system logical. That's how politics works. Trump needs the wall because he promised the wall because the base asked for the wall. I, will a wall work? Walls seem to work pretty well. They work in my house. People don't walk into my house because there are walls on it. I mean, walls do seem to work. They work in Europe. They work in Israel. Give them a wall. It's not going to kill you to give them a wall and give them the dreams. I know that, the, that there are people, absolutists on the right, who say, no, 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 we can't give am amnesty to anybody. This is politics. You compromise. That's how you do politics. Instead, instead, all we hear about is, you know, the Trump talks and hyperbole, that sometimes the things that he says aren't true. This is from the right and what a bad character he is. And he did this and he did that. And Mueller says this. and Mueller. Who cares? Who cares? If he gets impeached, if he gets impeached and the Senate convicts him and throws him out, I'll wave goodbye. That'll be too damn bad because it'll be a long time before we get a guy as effective as he is. Is his character good? It's good enough to be courageous and, and fight for what he wants. It's good enough to get the conservative policies. George W. Bush had a better character. Did he do as much? No way. No way. He extended entitlements. He, he had wars around the world that are not, uh, that's not a conservative doctrine. If, if we are going to have the Seinfeld conservatism and all it cares about is looking good and basically standing up for these ideals that cannot be put into practice, we're going to be about nothing and we're going to accomplish absolutely nothing. And I'm going to be in a bad mood and I don't like that. So it's got to stop right now. So listen, let's listen to the, what the opposition is doing, right? Donald Trump is going to make a speech. President of the United States, he's going to speak from the Oval Office. This is a very powerful way to speak because you're, uh, it's, it's personable, it's personal. You're talking directly to the American people. So what is the left or, journal, or the journalist, but I repeat myself, what, what is their strategy? 
we just won't run it. We're not going to show people what the president is saying because we don't like the president. Like, here's here's Mika on uh, what is it, Morning Joe. Here's her strategy, and it is the strategy of the left. One of the most time-honored and powerful ways a president has to communicate with the American people is through a primetime Oval Office address. The majesty of the setting, the request for valuable television time, network TV time, with the ability to capture the focus of the people of the United States to, you know, maybe the signal uh, to the country that says this is something of national importance. As your president, I need to communicate with my fellow citizens our shared challenges and how we're going to meet them together. We've seen that before. Done right, a nighttime Oval Office address can unite the country in trying times. It can inspire the better angels in ourselves. But all the signs here indicate that is not what Donald Trump has in mind, and the networks have a decision to make. Do they want to run the promise of more lies, more misleading statistics, more twisting of reality, mindless confrontation, all for the sake of defending Trump's dark, twisted fantasy on a wall on the Mexican border to fight an enemy that doesn't exist except in the most fevered swamps of American politics? Do, you, do they want to do that? Well, first of all, they're going to do it because they got caught out. Basically, it became a public fight. But the networks were seriously considering basically censoring the president because they don't like him. It, it, you know, but that, that's that's just simplistic. Let's go to a really deep thinker, Don Lemon. Uh, <laughs> Don, let's, let's feel his. Uh, he had a, a, a deeper idea because Don, he's a thinker. Our Don. Let's hear what he had to say. Do you think it should be, I don't know, a delay of some sort, and then you can because people believe it. People, the president will say what he has to say. People will believe it, whether the facts are true or not. I guess that's a chance you take with any president. But this, yeah. one, this one is different. And then by the time the rebuttals come on, we've already promoted propaganda, possibly, and if, unless he gets up there and he tells the truth. <laughs> you can see Cuomo. Chris Cuomo seems to be coming. Like a little light seems to have gone on behind Chris Cuomo's forehead. You know, as he's suddenly saying, you know... I'm surrounded by a bunch of idiots, you know. <laughs> he said, you know, you've got to run it. It's the president. He wants to talk to the people. It's the network's job, basically, to convey what the president wants to say. But they hate him so much, they're willing to silence him. They're willing to, to screw the people out of hearing what he has to say because they've decided that his vision is dark. They've decided that what he's saying is wrong. And, you know, the, the thing about it is, Leaving the wall out of it, I mean, the wall, as I say, is a political, it's now a political football. It's something that we, I think, as conservatives have to support because our guy needs it to stay in office. So I think that's why we have to support it. It's politics. That's, that's basically it. But what a lot of what Trump is saying is actually true. I mean, here he is talking about the crime problem and the overall problem of just the rule of law being in operation at the border. Let's cut to to have border security. If we don't have border security, we're going to be crime-ridden and it's going to get worse and worse. It was so sad watching the funeral of the slain police officer yesterday. Officer Singh. That was a very sad thing. But this is going on in many places. Over the course of, if you go back to the year 2000, we have thousands of people that have been killed by illegal immigration by people coming into the country illegally and killing our citizens. We can't have it. So if you can cover, as the news media did for about three days, a crying baby at the border or even 10 crying babies at the border, why can't we talk about the police officer who was a legal immigrant 
who was who was murdered by an illegal immigrant and all the other innocent people. Then there have been plenty of them who have been murdered by illegal immigrants and all the people. I think it is one out of five prisoners in federal prison, just in federal prison, are illegal immigrants. Right. So that's that is a lot of people who are filling up our prisons and which we're paying for because they broke the law and the law matters. The law matters. So they don't want to put they don't want you to hear Trump because why? Obviously, it's not because he lies. It's because they're afraid that he will convince you. They are afraid that he will convince the people, and they think they should have a monopoly on guiding the hearts and minds of the American people. That is what they think journalism is. They think journalism is telling you what you should think, because how would you possibly know? Let's hear who tells lies. Because, listen, I'm not going to defend Trump's honesty. He especially he's got that hyperbole thing. He's always saying, this is the greatest economy ever, and we've done more than anybody else when that's not true. But let's listen to to realize in order to do this, we have to go to our friends at The New York Times, a former newspaper, and travel to Knucklehead Row. Knucklehead Row, of course, is the op-ed section of The New York Times, and this is from The New York Times editors. In a letter Sunday to lawmakers, the White House laid out its latest proposal for addressing the border tumult. The administration called for more immigration and border patrol agents, very much needed, by the way. That's one of the problems. There's a reason there's a crisis. More detention beds and, of course, $5.7 billion to build 234 new miles of border wall. The White House also demanded an additional $800 million for urgent humanitarian needs, such as medical support, transportation, and temporary facilities for processing and housing detainees. All very important. Translation, says the New York Times, a former newspaper. Translation, Mr. Trump's mass incarceration of migrant families is overwhelming an already burdened system that without a giant injection of taxpayer dollars will continue to collapse, leading to ever more human suffering. The situation is an especially rich example of the Trump doctrine, break something, then demand credit, and in this case, a lot of money for promising to fix it. This is utter Humbug. This is complete humbug. What they're, they're blaming Trump for the collapse of these governments that has had caused this onslaught of people. What they're saying is he's he's mean to incarcerate them. He's mean to hold them as he is supposed to do. So we're just supposed to let them flow into the country. They never they never follow out their own logic. I mean, what does that mean? They flow into the country. They are just allowed. Anybody who wants to can just pour in. There is no rule of law. Our compassion, our wonderful hearts, our wonderful virtue overrides the law. So we treat those people for whom we feel compassion one way and those people who the media doesn't like, we treat an entirely different way. And here is the key point. They give themselves away at the New York Times. Any attempt to sell Mr. Trump's cruel immigration agenda with a veneer of humanitarian measures should be viewed with skepticism. In other words, anything that makes Trump look like a decent human being trying to solve a problem that he didn't cause must be stopped because we hate Trump. You want to see how much they hate? They don't even know. They don't even know that hatred is what is uh, governing them. They don't know that that's who they are. Frank Bruni, one of the biggest knuckleheads on Knucklehead Row, is on with Brian Stelter. And Stelter asks him, are you you guys, you know, the last editor of the New York Times was fired. Her name escapes me at the moment, but she was fired. When she was fired, she said the Times plays it straight. And now she no longer says that. She says it's just become an anti-Trump paper. And so here's Frank Bruni answering that charge. But this idea that news coverage of Trump is is negative, is too negative. Where where does the truth lie? I, I, I disagree wholeheartedly with that. He's a singular president. 
He was a singular candidate. No one has lied like him, I mean, at, at that altitude. No one has had the sort of ethical problems that he does. No one has had the areas of ignorance. If you, to call that out accurately, is to end up with a body of coverage that is unusually negative, but it is absolutely appropriate to the man and the situation at hand. So negative, but accurate. Yeah, anti-Trump connotes driven by some sort of animus regardless of the facts. Mm -hmm. I don't think we've been anti-Trump. I think we have been negative, and I think that's the only honest way to cover this president. What about tone, though? Do you think the tone is sometimes off? Yes, I think the one way in which we leave ourselves vulnerable is our tone can become mocking and sneering, and I don't mean just on the opinion pages, where that's not so unusual, but sometimes in news coverage. When we do that, we hurt ourselves, because we give his supporters a way to say, look, they can't give him a, sh a fair shake because they feel so negatively toward him. Um, so I think we do have to watch our tone. <laughs> <laughs> We're not biased. He's Satan. That's why we do it, because he's the devil himself. And we, you know, if if this is the if this is the press, the press is a mighty, mighty force in this country. I think it is one of the true forces for bad in this country. I am an absolutist in believing in a free press. I think they are abusing their freedom. I don't think there's a damn thing we can do about it except hold them to the light until they're forced to reform out of sheer embarrassment and the fact that we turn away from them. If the press, if the press is selling the, the idea that only they should be able to shape opinions, if Donald Trump cannot even speak to the people without the press threatening to cut him off, if Donald Trump is doing essentially what's right, which is reestablishing the rule of law on the border, reestablishing the rule of law in the judiciary, cutting back the regulations that have strangled our economy, uh, you know, lowering the taxes that have fought, uh, that have damaged our corporations, that left it in the House is already talking about raising taxes on corporation like 30 percent, which is insane and would destroy our economy. If he has done all these right things, listen, don't waste so much of your time talking about what you don't like about him. I, I mean, I get it. I get it. But still, still, if, if that is your conservatism, if your conservatism is about protecting your reputation, if it is about keeping your, your nose clean, it is Seinfeld conservatism. It is a movement that is no longer about anything. A movement that, that is about something has to accomplish things. It has to appeal to the voters. It has to use the people we're given. We don't have a choice with president. We don't have a choice right now of changing the president. This is our president. We should support him. We should support his wall to keep because he needs it to stay in office and do the things that he needs to do. It is really annoying. It is really annoying to watch us talking, let, letting the left set the agenda and set the narrative. And we just go along with that flow. It is time to fight them every step of the way, even if it means getting your hands a little dirty along the way. Now it is time for the next installment of the Lefties Dictionary. And I want to remind you that if you go on Amazon and search uh, my name or the Lefties Dictionary, you might say, well, how do you spell your name? It's K-L-A-V-A-N. You will find the Lefties Dictionary from A to Z with lots and lots of bonus content that's not in any of these videos. But right now we have the video. M, I believe, is for microaggression. M. M is for microaggression. A microaggression is an act of racism or sexism so teensy-weensy that you have to look very, very hard to find it before you can claim to be traumatized by it. Take as an example a man who says to a woman, Good morning, madam. Fine day, what? This is a microaggression because the man is imposing his male sense of the morning on the woman before she has had a chance to develop her own distinctly female opinion. The man then asks a question to which the response has already been determined by his masculine aggression. Plus, by calling her madam, he is making all sorts of sexist assumptions. 
that the woman is married, that the married state is different than the unmarried state, that he, a stranger, has the right to comment on her married state, and so on. It's easy to see that some women would be terribly upset by harmful microaggressive remarks like these. It's best to just walk right by women like that without saying a word. Also, don't hire them to work at your company or ask them on a date or associate with them in any other way. They're obviously a tremendous pain in the ass. Racist microaggressions are similar. See if you can detect the teensy tiny microaggression in the following dialogue between John and Fred. Hey, pal, where are you from? What, you think just because I'm Asian, I can't be American? No, I meant, what city are you from? Oh, you think just because I'm black, I must be from a city? I thought you said you were Asian. So you think just because I'm black, I can't be Asian? Look, man, I don't really care what you are. I was just making conversation. Oh, you think just because I'm a man, I can't be a woman? Can you spot the microaggression? That's right. The microaggression occurred when John got so sick and tired of talking to Fred, he backed his pickup truck over him repeatedly and then set his body on fire. Really, who can blame him? M is for microaggression. I'm Andrew Claven with the Lefties Dictionary. All right, remember, you can get the Lefties Dictionary A to Z in book form with beautiful, beautiful illustrations from our artists here at The Daily Wire. Go on Amazon, and you can search my name or search the Lefties Dictionary. You get the whole thing. Lots of uh, bonus content uh, that's not in any of the videos. So I know the reason you come to the show is you say, I want to hear about hip-hop. Because I know when you think Andrew Clavin, you think hip-hop. Anomaly is a hip-hop artist that I met on a panel with our, friend, our mutual friend, Jesse Lee Peterson. Uh, and he was so fascinating that I wanted to bring him on and talk about him. He is a news analyst, an activist, a video producer, a social media influencer, which I can say because his videos have been viewed an astonishing 250 million plus times across all the social media platforms. His music has been downloaded millions of times. He says that his mission is to restore common sense, truth, knowledge and wisdom to the media and entertainment world. Here is a quick clip of his music and you'll find it a little shocking. I love it. Anomaly, thank you for coming on. It's great to see you. Yeah, thanks for having me. That's a great intro. Yeah. <laughs> well, I'm blessed. Yeah, well, I'll I tell you, I, I told you when we met that uh, my musical taste stops around, like, Lerner and Lowe, you know? <laughs> no, you're bringing the hip-hop culture back. With it. it's, it's a whole renaissance happening right now. I know. I, it's kind of, I emanate hip-hop. I think that's <laughs> the important How on earth did a hip-hop guy, I mean, because I think of the hip-hop guys on the left, that's what I, you know, the way I think of them. How did you get from the left. I mean, you must have started on the left to, to doing a song like that. I never liked politics. I felt like both sides of the debate were kind of sold out for a while. Um, I was talking kind of from an outside perspective, but as a young kid growing up, I didn't understand policies and those type of politics, so I always weighed in on it. But uh, I thought Bernie was like a matrix breaker, gonna be the guy that I, Trump is now. Uh -huh. And uh, so I just kind of weaved in that way and once I saw the truth it's you know I can't lie to myself and I do want to say to a lot of hip-hop artists a lot of them are pro second amendment and I don't think any hip-hop artists like taxes huh. so I'm not quite sure why they think the democratic party is for them 
or maybe they don't. They think they're both corrupt. But I, I really do think Trump is a guy who came, you know, from the outside, and he is the guy we've been looking for. And I, I don't think a lot of hip hop artists want to admit that. that see, it's, what's amazing, you start out as Bernie Sanders. Bernie Sanders is a socialist, the guy honeymoons in the Soviet Union. I mean, <laughs> this is a guy, he's, he's, a, he's almost a character from another age, from like back in the 30s and 40s, before we found out what socialism is. What was it, though, that made you think like, wait a minute, this is a problem, Trump and Trump is doing the right thing? My whole thing for a decade now, I've always known the media was brainwashing people, lying, starting wars. So Bernie, his whole movement seemed to be anti-media. I never quite thought $15 hour minimum wage. Like I was always like, oh, that's going to crush small businesses. But I was so desperate that I guess I bought into a lot of the rhetoric. And I was like, he's going to be the guy who stops the wars. He's going to be the guy who breaks the two-party system. So it was never his policies that really brought me to his side. And I didn't, to be honest, until like a year or two ago, I didn't understand like taxes and health insurance as I got older and started learning about it via thousands of dollars being stolen from me via Obamacare, individual <laughs> mandates. Then yeah. I'm like, oh, wait, this sucks. Uh, you know, so it, it was kind of that. It, it wasn't his policies that I liked. And then once I learned about socialism and he showed his true colors, I was like, whoa, thank goodness that didn't work out. What, what about this, the tone of censorship on the left, this new thing where if you said, if you say something now, or if they can find a tweet that you put out like 20 years ago that has a word in it they don't, that now they don't like, uh, you're, you're basically out of a job. I mean, is that something that haunts you? Does it come after you at all? Uh, it's terrible. It hasn't affected me. I've been very lucky and fortunate as far as uh, not really any press, and I appreciate that rather than <laughs> bad press, but it's terrible. Uh, a lot of the media, I feel like, as far as the mainstream, it's mostly leftists, the whole celebrity culture, entertainment culture. And what I'm trying to get people to understand is they don't care about your race or sexual preference like they claim to. Ellen DeGeneres, now they're saying, who made her the gay pope? That's like a Washington Post. I'm like, what? You're turning on Ellen? She's shilled for your agenda for a decade. Kevin Hart, you know, they yeah. claim like they're the saviors of the African-American community, but they're mad about a joke 10 years ago. It's absolutely ridiculous. It's ruining comedy. It's ruining free speech. And it's ruining intelligent discussion and solutions because our feelings and words are not the big scoop here. There's like, you know, people getting enslaved in other countries and no one cares because they're mad at Rudolph. <laughs> it's crazy. <laughs> now Hip hop emanates from the black community. I mean, so much of American music. I mean, so much great American music comes out of uh, out of black music. Mm -hmm. Are you linked into that community at all? I mean, do you do you have friends from the black side of hip hop? Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. I don't. I, I'm not like a Elizabeth Warren. Like I don't claim ownership <laughs> over the whole community. But you look like about one two hundredth and twenty. My political stances may have got a different crowd, but I remember a, a music label was interested in me, and they were treating me like very white per se. Like they were like, "Oh, we're going to dress you up like this." It yeah. was kind of strange. But then I remember they came back to me, and they're like, "The kids in Brooklyn, they know about your music." And uh, I think I tap into to real people, and I have a lot of people who started hip hop and a lot of the people who were like involved in the very beginning of it i've got love from uh, jam master jay's family and and a lot of really and hip hop actually took a turn in culture it wasn't always about what it is now it started dancing b-boying graffiti you know positive vibes and it, it was never about this so i think it's it's like forked into five and a lot of the elements of it that are toxic were not the origins of it but uh i've been i've been blessed and uh, you know good people from every community usually reach out and do you get any blowback about the Trump stuff? I mean, I like Trump. 
A, a little bit, but not really, to be honest. Like, all my friends in hip-hop, they're like, they're like, man, I don't like Trump, but that song really slaps. You know, they, they like the song. And uh, it's been like, anytime someone gets really mad at me, it's usually someone that's whiter than I am. Huh. But, you know, or like maybe like some guy who's like 55 from San Francisco and lives on a boat or something. Like, it's not really the, the people. I, I talk to people all the time. Spanish, black, this like a lot of people know about a lot of stuff. So I'm I'm hoping to get more hip hop interviews because I could connect and really be like, listen, I'm not trying to ruin everything. I, I agree with you on this, this, and this, but like you gotta understand if you like the Second Amendment and you like free speech and you like low taxes, the yeah. government not stealing your money, this side's not for you. They they socially manipulate people to then financially and politically get them. Well, well, I mean, it started out and there used to be a lot of love for Trump in rap music. I mean, they would basically point to him because he had the gold and all that stuff. He kind of had the values of, of rap, basically. Is that all gone? I mean, is there nothing like that anymore? Or is it just gone underground? Are the people uh, secretly supporting Trump? but not? I mean, you know? Kanye likes him. I, I have yeah. a producer that's like very successful, one of the biggest pro production groups ever. Um, and he likes Trump a lot outwardly, and he tells me that a lot of people behind closed doors do. A lot of people don't, um, yeah. but the, the media pushed billions of dollars went into trying to tell people that Trump is racist, but if you look at it, Trump is really like a, a lot of rappers. You know, Floyd Mayweather actually brought it up. He's like, man, he talks about women like rappers talk about women sometimes. <laughs> yeah. He talks about, like, he's really blunt. I mean, that's what I like about a lot of rappers. You know, they always said it like it was, so it's like, People didn't want it to come from that side, but I think Trump's also exposing a lot of like backwards, like people hate men and hate mm. white people. Yeah. And it's like, I didn't really realize how deep it was until Trump came out. He made everyone show their true colors. And you're like, a lot of it is you guys as well. It's not just no, from this side. No, I think that's absolutely true. I mean, what are, besides the, the taxes, which we all hate taxes, but what, what are the issues that really get you? I mean, what are the things that where you say, like you look at the media and think you can't believe they're saying what they're saying? The wars were over, always a big thing because I, I realized I'm like, all right, we're overseas, this and that. You know, 9-11 happened. We went over there. But Trump defunded a billion dollar policy in Syria. And a lot of people don't talk about it. We were funding rebels who were fighting ISIS. ISIS is fighting Assad and the rebels are fighting Assad. So it's a lose, lose, lose. In yeah. Libya, there's slave trade, organ harvesting because they funded extremist rebels and those rebels killed the leader of, of uh, Libya, and then there's nothing. So it's like Syria might not be up to the greatest stuff. I have no idea what he is or isn't doing. But if you kill the leader and the only people on the ground are terrorists and extremists, it's not going to get better. And Trump, I think he's very pragmatic. And he's, he's like, who are these people? And people are like, he's so dumb. But he's right. Who, who are those people? Yeah. Like he says it very basically, but he makes complete sense. So I, I like that he's doing that in the media. It seems like even conservatives besides maybe like Tucker Carlson, they're all on that. It's like one big club and, and we're not in it. I, I mean, somebody said recently if Trump praised air, they would stop breathing at this point. I mean, they just I, think so. I, I would say water. You know, yeah. he says he likes water. We might have people just dehydrate like SpongeBob. <laughs> <laughs> it's a good strategy. Say he likes water. It's like, man, I love water. I'm going to bring water. And people, <gasps> it's like, just drink water. It's okay, my man. You won't die. I'm talking to Anomaly. Where do people find you when they want to hear your music? Uh, it's, it's on, um, Spotify and everywhere. It's A-N-0-M-A-L-Y. Okay. It's on, um, YouTube, Facebook, but the O is a zero. So A-N-0-M-A-L-Y, Instagram, Dream Rare. Um, okay. And so now uh, let's, let's talk about music for a little bit because, you know, what, what happened to me is I grew up listening 
to my father was on a was a DJ, and I grew up listening to the American Songbook. So I grew up listening to Sinatra, and even though they were guys before my time, they kind of stuck with me. And when the music changed, I thought, no, I like this music. I just stuck with it. And so I now have the musical taste of a hundred and fifteen year old man, essentially. <laughs> but I, I I must tell you, from rap into hip hop, I was lost entirely. I do not under what is what is this music if. Can you give it a theoretical basis so at least I can under grasp it intellectually? Tell me what it's trying to do. What I loved about hip hop when I was young, I always loved rhyming like Shel Silverstein wears the, the yeah. sidewalk ends and, and I heard Eminem and Dr. Dre forgot about Dre and I was like, whoa, this is rhyming on steroids. <laughs> and then I started getting into like some true lyricists, uh, you know, people like Nas, uh, Jedi Mind Tricks is somebody who they were talking about the wars and a lot of these things that I talk about now, they were talking about through rap music, Vietnam War, there's a good song called Uncommon Valor by Ari the Rugged Man and Jedi Mind Tricks, and his father was in Vietnam, and it's just like a lyrical, you know, onslaught of like explaining Agent Orange and all the bad effects from it and stuff, and like that's what I really liked about it, the message, uh, and I think that message gets through to a lot of people. The problem is a lot of modern rap, the message is horrible. It's like take pills and, and commit suicide. And you're like, and then they're like, there's a huge opioid problem. And I'm not blaming rappers completely, but yeah. I'm like, you go to these concerts, there's millions of kids who are like, yeah. And you're like, no, that's not the right message. So I like that about it a lot. But um, I've been listening to a lot of like Jackson 5 and Stevie Wonder and stuff yeah. recently because it's just like better vibes and a better message. It, but. Well, it's, see, it's really because you're saying basically they're like balladeers. You guys are like sort of talking in rhyme about things that really matter and you're communicating to a large group of, of ordinary people, which is actually, you know, a, a very uh, um, creditable thing to be doing. I remember when Eminem came out and I went and saw Nine Mile and I got his album and I listened to it because I just wanted to know it. And eight miles, sorry. Eight miles. Uh, sorry, not from Detroit. Adam, uh, you know, we're getting our exercise on this year. Right. That's right. Um, uh, but I thought, God, this guy is so talented. But it was the stuff he was saying was grotesque, especially the stuff about cutting women's throats. And, you know, I mean, yeah. it just, and I, I, I mean, is there some way to separate from that without becoming, you know, like Christian music, this kind of bland, nothing? Yeah, uh, with Eminem, it's funny. I loved him growing up, but now yeah. I listen to it. It is like, oh, this is really dark. Yeah. Um, and now his political opinions are awful. <laughs> but um, yeah, I think I think it is art in a way. But I, my problem is it's been done for so long that it's like if you're saying a story that's not true and it's bad, and you know people are listening to that. Like I know and you know, we're responsible for a certain number of people. So right. I take that very seriously. If you just say like kill people, you're like, oh, like, I mean, that's not a good uh, path to put people down. And, and a, a lot of rappers are like talking about pills and then they'll say in an interview, I don't even do those pills. <laughs> yeah. How could you do that with a conscience and a soul? Like yeah. tell people to do things that you're not even doing. Cause thousands, tens of thousands, I know people personally, hip hop producers, you know, dead, because of drugs, so it's yeah. like you're killing the kids, and I've been I've been saying that for years, even before I got political. Like they're killing the kids via like overdose and pills and violent culture that they've you know hijacked a community and told them this is who you are, and it's not a good way to be. Yeah. Do you looking forward? I mean, I, I when I became a loudmouth conservative, uh, it, it cost me big in Hollywood. I mean, I was a, I was a jobbing Hollywood screenwriter for a, quite a while. Basically, that was over, you know, that, that part, part of my life. Was over. Looking forward, are you afraid that your career is going to suffer for this? Uh, it's It's been thriving, but I'll, I'll tell you, even before I got this deep into politics, five, six years ago, they flew me to New York City for a label, a record label meeting. I won't say the label. It was 
not even one of the big ones, independent, but pretty yeah. big. They said, don't talk about politics. So I've been told for uh, five, six years not to talk about politics. I've been talking about so much stuff, even when I started, although it wasn't maybe conservative, but it was deep diving stuff. I, I probably blacklisted myself from the very beginning. So now that this is like a wave, I've caught that wave luckily. And it's like, I, I couldn't do it any other way. I'm, sh I'm sure it has affected me, but I'm, I'm so deep in it that like, since the beginning, they were like, oh, this kid looks good, but like, talk about women and drugs and shut up. Like, and they, like, I've literally heard that. Like, yeah. talk about yeah. women. I'm like 20. I'm like, I don't know any, I don't love anyone yet. I can't make up, you know, I got to love someone and then I can write a love song. I can't, I can't make it up yeah. and wear like Abercrombie. Like, they, they literally like, let's wear like Abercrombie, put like, they wanted to make me like a white you know, superstar. And oh, I was God, like, I'm, I was talking about George Bush and like the Iraq war. They were like, yo, shut up. Huh. You know, you know I, I'm, I'm telling you, I think it is so important what you're doing. I really do. I mean, I think that th this fight, the, the fight to be able to have a voice in the arts, which makes all the difference, it's where all opinions are, are actually originally shaped. Uh, is is everything and conservatives are really bad at it and it takes yeah. it takes it takes guys like us who are red pilled you know basically who have come come over from the other side Absolutely. or else it's it's never going to happen anomaly uh, great stuff find you on Spotify find you on yeah Spotify title my Facebook page too yeah. anomaly A N zero M A L Y I'm everywhere and nowadays it's like the music was always doing well but now the news thing like a lot of people are like I didn't even know you rap when I come out with a no. song. And it's okay because uh, even with the music, what I always wanted to do was like spread a message. So once I could sit on my couch and do it, I was like, oh, this is even easier. So, you know, and I don't have to deal with like all the, bro, you want to collab? People in my DMs, you know, trying to make, I'm like, what, what does that mean? They want, you know, collab, like make a pitch. But jokes aside, yeah, just find me anywhere. Right. It's great talking to you. Thank you. You know, I, I want to finish by going back to this Kevin Hart thing. I've been talking about this forever. And I know a lot of, uh, conservatives say, well, why do I care? I don't watch the Oscars anyway. I get this from a lot of conservative people. The Oscars don't matter anymore. The movies don't matter anymore. But the fact is, the fact is a guy with a tough background who worked his butt off to make it in one of the hardest businesses on earth was robbed of his dream job because of some tweets he sent out that the left didn't like. Lay aside whether the tweets were right or wrong. That's what happened. And if that can happen to him, who's a powerful guy, uh, a successful guy, a black guy, so you'd think he'd be protected by the left, it can happen to anybody and will happen to anybody because it spreads down. So Ellen DeGeneres, who I've always kind of liked because, first of all, I think she's very funny. But Ellen DeGeneres, who was a big spokeswoman for the gay cause when she came out on her show, she had uh, Kevin Hart on to rehabilitate him. And here is the, the part where in this interview, she says that she has actually called the Academy and wants to get him his job back the academy today because mm -hmm. i i really want you to host the oscars i think that i was so excited when i heard they, that they asked you i thought it was an amazing thing i knew how important it was and how it was a dream so i called them i said kevin's on i have no idea if he wants to come back and host but what are your thoughts? And they were like, oh, my God, we, we want him to host. We feel like that maybe we, he misunderstood or it was handled wrong or maybe we said the wrong thing, but we want him to host. What, whatever we can do, we would be thrilled. And he should host the Oscars. And I have to say, first of all, of course, as Anomaly told us, she was excoriated. She was attacked for going off the reservation. So remember, they're not, they not, don't support your identity. They support your identity as a way of pushing big government and high taxes. That is what they do. It's always, it's never about being gay. It's never about being black. It's never about being a woman. It's only about the power and the fact that they can get it off that. The once you leave the reservation, you are a bigger villain than anybody. But I'm of two minds about this because 
even though the, the way it works is they, as as Hart said, they went and they searched his tweets. They went back years and years, thousands, tens of thousands of tweets to find something that people didn't like that they could say was uh, anti-gay. And I kind of found it a harmless kind of series of jokes. Not that funny. But the problem, the, the position it puts him in is maybe he feels bad. Maybe he offended somebody. Maybe he didn't like it. But now he has to apologize to get his job back. It is one thing for out of the goodness of his heart, out of a change in his heart to come forward and say, you know, uh, I'm sorry I made those jokes in the old days. It's another thing to be blackmailed into it and have to come crawling back like a guy at a Stalinist show trial to get your job back. I think that he should stay strong. I mean, he has said so many different things at this point, and I don't blame him. Like I said, it's the hardest business in the world. He made it. He came from a tough background, and now they're going to try and destroy him for a couple of tweets. It's disgusting. It is a disgrace. And I think that the answer is for him to say, you know, I'm not going to respond to this attack because I should have the people should have the right to disapprove of homosexuality if they want. They should have the right to say offbeat things, especially entertainers and comedians. They should have the right to say, go off the reservation. It is not right that Don Lemon can go on a show and demonize white people as he does. I've never called for him to be taken off the air. Why? Because the same reason I don't call for uh, Laurel and Hardy films to be taken off the air. He amuses me with his nonsensical hijinks. But (laughs) I don't call for him to be taken off the air. It is obscene. It is obscene for the ticket, the price of admission to a job in Hollywood or a job anywhere to be that you have to agree with the left. All right. The mailbag is tomorrow. Go on the Daily Wire, dailywire.com. Subscribe. It's a lousy 10 bucks a month, lousy 100 bucks for the year. Hit the podcast button, hit the Andrew Clavin podcast, hit the little mailbag, and you can ask any questions you want. My answers are guaranteed 100% correct. They will change your life for the better. Who can say? I'm Andrew Clavin. This is The Andrew Clavin Show. The Andrew Clavin Show is produced by Robert Sterling. Executive producer, Jeremy Boring. Senior producer, Jonathan Hay. Our supervising producer is Mathis Glover. And our technical producer is Austin Stevens. Edited by Adam Siobitz. Audio is mixed by Mike Cormina. Production assistant, Nick Sheehan. Hair and makeup is by Jesua Alvera. The Andrew Clavin Show is a Daily Wire production. Copyright Daily Wire 2019. Hey, guys, we have a lot to talk about on the uh, Matt Wall Show today. That comment from Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez about how it's better to be morally right than factually right. I have one point to make about that that other people, I think, have not made yet. Also, masculinity is harmful, according to the American Psychological Association. And Lil Wayne, um, dressed like Gandalf, had fallen into a tie-dye machine last night. And uh, we need to discuss that as well. So come on over to the Matt Wall Show. We'll talk about it.